0: Breaking news from the world of conspiracy theories involving the latest updates to the Ghislaine Maxwell saga. Then we meet a young boy who settles down for a nice night of sleep. Instead, he finds himself in a situation, (laughs) some sort of situation, obviously, right? There has to be some sort of conflict. And then we travel to the moon. To meet a little Chinese lunar rover that has recently spotted a object in the distance. Is it a pile of rocks? Is it an alien base? Or is it proof that Jesus Christ never existed? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys had a great weekend. We're wrapping up season 16. We got two more weeks of episodes and I'm taking two weeks off and right now we're debating a Christmas livestream special that's up in the air. But I'll I'll keep you guys informed of that. I won't let you guys know at midnight on Christmas Eve. I'm like, join me now. But someone who can join me right now, coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now, everyone on your feet, give it up for our newest Patreon supporter burb everyone give a big round of applause to burb walking on in looks like a bird favorite movie is the burbs if you guys can not support the patreon that's fine too just helps spread the word about the show really really helps out a lot now burb i'm gonna go ahead and toss you the keys to the jason jalopy we're leaving behind dead rabbit command let's start our journey by headed out to london (laughs) burb is driving us on out there and it's nice and sunny in london there's there's like birds flying through the sky and trees are there. And the reason we're out there for the wildlife, this isn't a nature podcast, but we're, we're like, get out of our way, trees, get out of our way, birds. We're headed straight towards the HMP Bell Marsh, which is a prison. What does that stand for? Her Majesty's Prison? Because I know she's on a bunch of boats too, right? But anyway, so the reason why we're here... They're holding a trial right now. And we're like, get out, of, get out of our way, bailiffs. Get out of our way, guards. We want front seat. We're sitting on the judge's lap. We're like, these are the best seats ever. Getting popcorn everywhere. The reason why we're here was, so Julian Assange. Julian Assange is, I'm going to try to boil the entire saga down. I spend more time telling those jokes than I'm going to do. Give me the backlog to Julian Assange's story. Julian Assange started the website, the group WikiLeaks which is dedicated to transparency in government. And so because of that, a lot of people steal documents and give them to him because they see something going wrong in an organization, they want to expose it. He's made a lot of enemies. (laughs) He made a ton of very powerful enemies over the years, obviously, right? Someone's stealing your documents. You're like, oh no, the Kellogg's account, we need that. Actually, it's not even stuff like that. It's not even like just basic business mergers. It's like... Videos, there was a very famous video going around the internet for a long time, it's still out there, of the Apache helicopter opening fire on a crowd in Iraq. It was just like 30, 40 people milling about and just opened fire on them. So, and, then, and then it targeted some journalists and killed them as well. So It was a massacre. It was a massacre. So video like that was super embarrassing for the United States. Back in 2012, when the U.S. authorities were looking for him, he ran into the Ecuadorian embassy in London and asked for asylum. And for the next seven years, he was, like, posting TikToks and stuff like that, being like, he's doing dances, he's doing dances. He was he would do media updates. He'd do media updates. I'm still here, guys, and we're still fighting for transparency. What happened behind the scenes? I think we covered this on a really early episode of Dead Rab Radio. If we didn't, that was my mistake, because I thought it was hilarious. What happened about a year or two ago was that the Ecuadorian embassy kicked out Julian Assange. They're like, we're done. You've been here for seven years. And people are like, whoa, like, is it because of the... Who was in charge that time? I think was it was because Trump was leaning on Ecuador. Multiple presidents have tried coming after this guy. Bush, Obama, Trump, and I'm assuming Biden. I guess so because they just won an extradition. He's, he's being moved back to the United States, but he was in the Ecuadorian embassy for seven years and reports came out that his room was super messy and he was just kind of annoying the staff. Because you're trying to run an embassy and there's a there's a man living there, a very, very high profile man living in like your former office. So now you're in the closet and you're like, Ugh. apparently he was skateboarding down the holes like super. I mean, There has to be security footage of this. I don't know why they have not released this as a found footage movie at this time. So, Ecuadorian, they did kick him out. They said it just was untenable. And he goes, no, no, it's because of my politics. And they're probably rolling their eyes as they're, like, calling in all these maids to clean up his bedroom. They're like, you're disgusting, dude. And you look at all these keyboard marks everywhere. How did you get them on the ceiling? I was grinding. So, after that, he didn't want to go to America, so he went to a prison in London. And he's been there for the past couple of years, past two years. Well, the re- all of that stuff is the United States wants this dude for leaking those documents and they they want him so bad they've been fighting this for the people who stole the documents for him have already done their time and been pardoned and he's still looking at some super serious charges the reason why we're talking about this is obviously he does have tons of secrets and there's always been talk of him having a dead man switch which is what it sounds like it's a data dump that is sitting with a little timer on it. And every, say, once a week or once a day, depending on how paranoid you are, if you don't enter an access key or do some sort of movement, whether it be a phone call or whatever on the computer, or telegraph or carrier pigeon, the, the dead man switch activates and all that information gets leaked. It basically is to guarantee that you stay alive. But anyway, so people know that he has something like that out there. That's I think that would be logical. Julian Assange was recently told, like, there was a court hearing. There was a court hearing via video back in October 2021. Julian Assange was told, you will be extradited to the United States. I'm going to tell you this right now, son. The prisons in the United States, there are no Ecuadorian embassy. And he's like, no! Actually, what really happened, and this is why we're covering this segment... Is The judge says, listen, you've lost your extradition hearing. You will be extradited to the United States. And Julian Assange, on video, has a stroke. This information is just coming out. I just saw this today on December 12th in the New York Post. He had a stroke during the live feed. And he's okay. (laughs) We just had that footage to the found footage movie. He's okay. He has a drooping right eyelid. And he has some cognitive difficulties. So here's the thing you got. When I saw that article, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Because, one, that sucks, right, to have stroke. Two, what are the... I get that he's stressed about... Listen, man, prisons in the United States... It depends on what prison you end up in. But I'm not going to say anything about California prisons. But prisons in the United States, they're really not as bad as they make it out to be. Oz is not a documentary. Oz is a hyper-realistic, stylized show it's not that bad it's not so bad that if someone told me that i was going to go to prison that i'd have a stroke i'd be like ah it's gonna suck right i'm gonna go in I, mean, I guess it's really easy for me to say that as i'm sitting in my closet and i'm within walking distance of a coffee shop that i'm probably gonna hit up after i'm done recording this episode i'm like oh i can do 30 years in prison they always say once you hear that door shut for the first time it, it totally messes with your head but I don't know if I'd have a stroke. Now, again, Julian Assange, he's older than me. He's, he's a pro skater. So his veins may be more worn out from like wiggling around trying to keep balance on the skateboard. But I think it's this I I think that my two theories put on our conspiracy capture this one. One, he is faking. <laughs> Jason, I don't know. I don't know what world you live in, but it's quite hard to fake a stroke. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> it's a little bit of scotch tape, a little bit of scotch tape to make it look like his eyelids droop. But I think because it's it, he can just no matter no matter what now he goes oh I have cognitive difficulties I can't answer your questions I I don't know what it's going on I don't know what's going on I don't think he's now like a drooling idiot he is still walking around and he's in good health so that might be kind of hard to sell but my theory is this I'm thinking one he's faking it so he can kind of say oh, I don't remember what I did all those years as <laughs> the equatorians are trying to get money for all the skateboarding injuries he caused he's like what i don't remember i can't even move a skateboard look at my eye my theory is this this was a warning to the people who want him like whether or not he physically had a stroke the, the thing was is that he it could have been a physical stroke but that was a warning saying listen guys you don't understand when i die all these documents are going to get released and you're going to put me in some like f- hardcore federal prison? Like you guys are dumb. I I think that this I think that this was a warning to them. I don't honestly think that it's real, but again, I don't know. I haven't seen Julian Assange lately. The last couple times we saw him, we thought it was a hologram. They're like the videos are always weird with him. So I think this was a warning. I'm on death's door. If you keep pushing this, I'm going to release these documents. But at this point, I think a lot of the documents he has access to, I don't know how relevant they are to the people in power. And I'm not talking about the president, but I'm always talking about the deep state, the the power behind the power. A lot of those people have probably left by now. I mean, those documents were from like 2005. So the new group of people will be like, I don't care if those documents get released. I just don't like leakers. I just don't like spies. So who cares if there's a data drop? It'll embarrass the past two administrations that were passed. So I, I think that the dead man switch has been compromised. I think that this was a warning to the people he has information on that I could die at any moment. And I don't think a lot of them care. And he will get extradited to the United States, which is interesting. He should have stopped pulling those 720 ollies in the Ecuadorian embassy. They would have kept him there for much longer. But... Who knows? I am not a legal genius, but we, I, I, we got a lot of breaking news. This Actually, I woke up to this. Burb, keep driving the Jason Jalapi. We're headed out to Manchester-by-the-Sea in Massachusetts. I think this is a first for this show. I don't think we've ever been to such a Tony neighborhood. So we all know about the Ghislaine Maxwell trial that's going on right now. I think any conspiracy theorist worth their salt at least knows the name Ghislaine Maxwell... Accomplice, uh, alleged accomplice to Jeffrey Epstein, known and convicted. Child trafficker, he was convicted, and then when they arrested him again, he mysteriously died in jail. I've done some really good episodes. I think one of my best episodes is the episode about Jeffrey Epstein trying to create the AI dimension. I'm going to put that in the show notes. That's one of my favorite episodes. We did a lot of research on that and found Jeffrey Epstein's blog. It's dope. It's a cool... I really like that episode. But anyway, so Ghislaine Maxwell... She's on trial right now. Jeffrey Epstein died, killed himself, officially murdered is the most common theory, and Elaine Maxwell's on trial. So she helped procure girls for him, is basically a thing. My guess, my read on this trial, and I've only seen a couple articles on it, I haven't been following it closely, but I'm just going to, I know how this type of stuff works generally. I think a lot of people know that she's being tried. She did commit these... Well, I have to say allegedly, but I think she did commit these crimes. But she's also being tried because Jeffrey Epstein died. They needed somebody. They needed somebody. So I think it's a trial of embarrassment. But there's new breaking news. I do think she should be tried. But I think she's so powerful, I think, in another alternate universe where Jeffrey Epstein was still alive. She walked. Because they could have arrested her at the same time. She was free until about a year after he died, and then they filed charges against her. Anyways, new breaking news on the Ghislaine Maxwell saga. Her husband, her husband, Scott Borgerson. Breaking news in this case. Guys, get ready for this. The reason why we're at Manchester by the Sea is we're about to meet Scott Borgerson's new girlfriend. His new girlfriend, Chris McGinn, who's described by the New York Post as a local writer. This is an actual quote, by the way. This actual quote, by the way, is a local writer, mother of two high school children, and yoga enthusiast who has an ass that could crack open a walnut, according to one local admirer. I I immediately spent 10 minutes trying to see if I could find a photo of this woman. She's a very attractive woman. Very attractive woman, but I need to see. That's a supernatural claim, right? This is a paranormal show. I can cover this and it's conspiracy because Gillian Maxwell is in prison. How is that? I get that it's a turn of phrase. I get that she probably, she can't do that, right? Cause if she can do that, that's the found footage movie I want to watch. Crack open a walnut with your butt cheeks. We have New York Post. You, if you're going to make a claim like that in the third or fourth paragraph of your article, that is an actual quote. You got to have a photo of her in yoga pants. Instead, they have some TMZ-style photos of her carrying coffee to her car. Uh, none of them of her dropping dropping a bunch of walnuts, and she's like, "Oh no!" And then we see her like squatting to pick one up, as she's looking straight at the camera. New York Post, you have failed at your journalistic duty. You cannot make a claim like that. There's a lot of lovely photos of this woman wearing sweaters and standing at galas, but there are none. <laughs> there are no photos that exist. This is lost media now. There are no photos of Chris McGinn. I'm not asking. There's some guy in Manchester by the Sea right now getting his cameras together. He's like, Jason wants a creep shot. I'll give him a creep shot. I'm not saying go out and stalk this woman. I'm not saying that by any measure at all. I do find it odd that the New York Post is randomly asking people in Manchester by the Sea if they know Chris McGinn. And one of the people says she has an ass that could crack a walnut. <laughs> like, I mean, if if one random person thinks that... Out of a sample, then you know there's hundreds of people in town, maybe thousands, who think the same thing. So come on, New York Post, do your job. And Chris McGinn, you know, if this thing with Scott doesn't work out, and you're looking to move to Oregon, you know where I'm at. You can always hit me up. You can just hang out in my P.O. box or something like that, or email me. Probably easier. We can arrange a date. Because that's a supernatural claim I would like to test. I will bring the walnuts, you bring your lovely self, and we will talk about everything but. The Ghislaine Maxwell draw, which is pretty much what I did in this segment, too. Burb, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Copter. We are leaving behind Manchester by the Sea. I'm waving goodbye to Chris McGinn. She's waving back. And I pull a bunch of walnuts out of both my pockets. I'm like, it was a fun date. Fly us up and away out of Manchester by the Sea. We're headed all the way out to a family cottage. <laughs> It's summertime, and there's this little family cottage out in nature. Trees rustling through the wind. An owl in one of those trees flies away. That was the sound of the wings. And inside the cottage, there's an 11-year-old boy. We're going to call him Doug. We're going to call him Doug. And Doug is this 11-year-old boy. He's just wearing his PJs and his little underwear. And he's rolling around in bed. And he's like, oh, this sucks. I'm trying to get some sleep, but I just can't get comfortable in this bed. We all know that feeling. We all know that feeling. And then at one point, he wakes up and he realizes, "Uh, this this bed is a little more than just uncomfortable. I'm pretty sure it's transmuted into another Substance and he wakes up and he realizes very quickly all these things kind of pop in his head. He's outside, he's naked, and he's laying on a giant flat slab of rock. The night wind whipping around his body. Some pervert owl returns to his ranch. He's frozen in fear. He can't even move. He can't even move. And he goes to scream. His mouth opens wide, but no sound comes out. Nothing comes out. He looks into the distance and sees the cottage, maybe a hundred feet away. And for the first moment in this bizarre attack of images and feelings, there's a little bit of safety. He closes his eyes. He looks back up at the cottage, and now he's able to move. And Doug jumps up. He can't, he, he's shocked by this whole chain of events. He said the slab of rock reminded him of something that you would sacrifice a human to a god on. And here he is in the middle of the night, surrounded by darkness, surrounded by trees. He's even one eye on that owl as he slowly makes his way back to the cottage. He can see it. He can look, he says, the cottage is maybe like a hundred feet away. And as he's walking to the cottage, he realizes when his bare feet touch the ground, he can feel the coldness of the soil, but the rest of his body totally warm. As if the elements were unable to affect him. He gets into the cabin, he has to climb in through a window because the door's (laughs) locked. And then he crawls into bed and, and he... Is praying nothing followed him back. He doesn't really know what to do. How do you explain any of that? And so he doesn't. He doesn't tell anyone. And the next morning he wakes up. He just gets dressed. He goes out to have breakfast and just try try to ignore the fact that he woke up 100 feet away on this slab of rock totally naked. But later that day he hears his older brother yelling outside. Hey Ma! Hey everyone! Come on down! Come on down to the old God-sacrificing rock! The family comes down there and there's the older brother and he's pointing up and Doug said, on the top of the trees, the tall ancient trees that surrounded this rock, hanging from a branch, my pajamas. So I'm assuming I'm assuming he told the story at that point. And he goes, to this day, I don't know. I can't explain it. I have no idea what happened. I definitely didn't do it. He goes, all of my family said they didn't do it. It wasn't some prank they were pulling. They're like, hey, let's put something in our kid's drink and it'll pass out. It'll be hilarious. We'll cart his body to this rock. They had no idea what it was either. So an interesting spooky story. That was posted online. I found it by What Do I Know? That was the name of the user. I What Do I Know? But in the way that this show works sometimes, we get two stories that kind of show up at the same moment. I'm researching so much stuff, and this sieve, every so often it shakes out stories that are very similar to each other. And so it gives us something we can compare and contrast. Burb, we're going to go ahead and we're going to call in the Dead Rabbit rocket ship. It's time to leave Earth's orbit. We're headed to the moon. <sighs> I recently got this story sent to me by Cabot Cove Balloon Friends, longtime supporter of the show. Does a lot of art for us as well. Really, really, really appreciate all that stuff. The reason why we're on the moon is right now there's a little rover on the moon from China. It's like a little remote control thing, little remote control RC car on the moon. The Chinese lunar rover is called the u 2 or its nickname is the Jade Rabbit. And this little, little Jade Rabbit lunar rover is driving around, and it shows in the distance. The photos will be in the show notes, so they're pretty popular. You guys have probably heard about this before, but there's a little structure... In the distance... You're like, no, Jason, I haven't heard any of this stuff. There's a building on the moon? Why are you so blasé about stuff? I don't know either. I don't know either sometimes. I'm going on and on about a woman whose ass could crack a walnut. And I was like, oh, there's a building on the moon. Anyways, next story. <clears throat> this lunar rover, Jade Rabbit, has picked up this rectangle... On the horizon of the moon. And this is so interesting. And Cabot Cove, thank you for sending this over. I find this so fascinating because it looks like a... Ma- imagine imagine how tall a building would have to be if you saw it on the horizon of the planet Earth. Or even just as far as your vision could see, you would see a, a tall rectangular building. You'd be like, dude, if that, if that is visible in any way, shape, or form from where I'm standing, it must be massive. And so these photos have gone up, and people have started talking, what is this? Is it a building? Is it an alien base? Is it a rock structure? Who knows? Now, obviously, scientists are saying rock structure, conspiracy theorists, alien people are saying base, and everyone else is kind of taking a wait or see, or what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm reading, and I was like, oh, this is fascinating. Like, let's see them do this. And then at the bottom of the article, after you're reading it, it says... It's going to take the lunar rover two to three months to get there. I was like, that, okay, how could, it, how could something natural be that big and never have been discovered? Because the Chinese are interested in this. When they saw it, they turn, They, had, they ch- go, stop, we're turning the rover and we're going to start going to find out what this is. This isn't something like a, a mark on Mars where some people say it's an alien microphone and other people say, no, that's just a rock. The Chinese are like, we're actually going there. We don't think it's a trick of the light. It's going to take them two to three months to get there. And I was like, wow, like this thing has to be huge. Like, How are they even letting this information out? This is proof that there's life on the moon. And then after that, it says it takes two to three months to get there. And then it says the object is only 262 feet away. You think that should be in the very... I mean, I get it. The New York Post is where I read a lot of my articles, and they do get sensational. And I get it. Like, if that's in the beginning, then you obviously know it's not that big. It still could be a tiny lot, right? It could be Yoda's. We don't know. We won't know until we get there. I think it's awesome that the Chinese government is actually checking it out, because NASA has a history of, like, there's, like, this ship flying, is landing to Mars, and a bunch of people are getting off, and they're like, oops, our rover broke. Sorry, guys, no more footage. They do not check out stuff. The reason why it's going to take three months is because this isn't like an RC car. And if it was like an RC car, which I think we've all played with at one point in our life, within five minutes of anyone playing with an RC car, it's on its back. Right? Unless you're really good at it. You're always making it hit walls. And that would happen up here. So they have to, like, it goes, it can go up to 0. 0.112 miles per hour, this rover, but they never go it that fast. It has to drive a bit, take a picture, they run a 3D model, and then they go, okay, turn two centimeters and and it can't drive at night. And night. You're like, oh, that's not bad. It's only 12 hours. No, night on the moon is 14 Earth days. So for 14 Earth days, it just can't move at all. It's too cold. So fascinating science stuff. And the question is, is what is that an artificial thing? Let's take another look at a story very similar to Doug's story. Very similar to Doug's story. And I messaged Doug and I go, hey, here's this story. And maybe this happened to you. Maybe, maybe it wasn't just you waking up in the middle of the night naked. Yeah, what happened to that kid? Was that ghosts? Is it paranoid? It's weird. But anyways, on July 3rd, 1951, in Ukiah, which is in California, there's a Catholic school camp. It's 3 a.m. at this Catholic school camp, and there's a young kid sleeping. We're just going to call him Martin. He's sleeping in his bed. He's not having the best night's sleep. He didn't have the best day, actually. You he think you're going to go to Catholic school camp to like read Bibles and stuff like that, but he cut his foot somehow? <laughs> I don't know how that happened. The, the teachers are like, now we're going to reenact the crucifixion. <laughs> Any volunteers? He's like, ah... So anyways, he has a cut on his foot, and he's sleeping in bed, and he notices, like his eyes are closed, he's being roused out of sleep, he sees a blue-green glow. Like, you know, even though his eyelids are closed, it's such a powerful light, he can see it through his closed eyes. And he opens them. He's laying on a cement slab. No joke. These stories are not related in any way. He's laying on a cement slab. Like, you know, this one's a little less evocative, a little less Cthulian. But you know how you have picnic tables and then you have the concrete slabs where, like, the barbecue pits are set up? He was on one of those. He wasn't on a sacrificial rock. He was laying on one of those and he looks up and he says, I don't know, maybe 70, 80 feet above me, I see this large disc. And underneath it, it's emitting a bluish-green glow. And then... Shoots up into the night sky. He said the UFO was about a city block wide. Like, this is a massive mothership-type object. But now (laughs) what does he do, right? It's spooky, but he's all alone in the middle of this wilderness. He gets up, and he's quite a distance from the cabins, but, you know, still in the campground. He's at the picnic spot. So he walks back to the cabin. I mean, any distance is too far if you have a cut on your foot. He hobbles back to the cabin, and he makes a ton of noise. He's totally freaked out by it. It's not like the first kid who sneaks in through the window, Doug. He's like, hey, everyone, everyone, I got a crazy story. UFO just abducted me. And the cap counselors don't believe him. And the kids are like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. And they're, like, po- poking his foot for evidence. They're like, maybe they put something in here. Maybe it's an implant. No, you numbskull. Anyways, so he just get his counselors like, just go back to your room. Go back to your room. You got twigs and stuff in your cut up foot. Don't sue. And you didn't get abducted by a UFO. Soon after these events, his memory returns. He actually does remember that this wasn't just him in bed and then him waking up. That there was something that happened in between. Martin is greeted by a female entity, as it's described. A short humanoid with a large head and huge, shiny, cat-like eyes. They're pitch black, jet black eyes, set over dull white skin. By that description, it's a little more human than a gray alien. That almost sounds like a hybrid, I would say. It has some of the features of a gray alien, but it has enough human qualities that I would specify this as a hybrid. And we do the typical thing where they speak via telepathy. And this alien gives her name as Nain. Nain tells Martin that she is the leader of the security force for her entire planet. So this woman's pretty high up there. And now that I think about it, I wonder if aliens brag. Like, that, that doesn't sound right, right? I'm not saying that she couldn't do the job. She probably could, maybe. But what's she, do- what's she doing walking around a Catholic school boy summer camp? She says, I'm like the security detail for my entire planet. I'm in charge of everything. And as she's telling him this story, he realizes, he looks around, and he is no longer in the cabin. He's no longer on Earth. She's standing on the ashes of a planet. She's just kind of walking around, continuing to talk, and he's trying to pay attention, but he's also floating a couple inches off the ground. And she explains to him, yeah... If you touch the soil, it's not going to work out well for you. This place has suffered a lot of damage. It's not good for humans to be here, and she's kind of like kicking rocks around, stuff like that, stepping on skulls. (laughs) So just float there for a bit while I tell you this story. She goes, once this place held a great civilization, and then the wars erupted, great wars, mighty wars, and the weapons became so powerful, they reduced every building to rubble, every life form to ash. They left massive craters in the ground. Some of them are so big, you can see them from Earth. Martin goes, huh, what? what? And then he was paying attention. He was thinking of that girl who could crack walnuts with her ass. The camera pulls back, and we're on the moon, bro! We're on the moon! Uh, twist ending. And so it's not the ending, though. Don't don't shut it off yet. She goes on to say that in her galactic corner, this isn't her planet, but where she comes from, the moon is known as the place of ashes. Because of this great war to completely demolish the entire planet. Moon, whatever you want to call it, right? And so, she says the she goes this this was just like this thriving civilization that fell apart. Now the she explains the galaxy is almost like a highway system in the United States, where you have highways that are connecting everything, but some highways are more used than others. Some are more efficient to get around. And I guess the assumption from that is, is that we, maybe when the moon was in full swing, when it was the hippinest place to be, and Pluto Nash, Pluto Nash is walking around with his guys coming up with another scheme, there was a lot of traffic through the area. It would basically be the Las Vegas of this quadrant, and we were the Reno, Nevada. No one wants to be there. No one wants to live there. But it was there. You couldn't do anything about it. And so, but once Las Vegas fell, definitely no one wanted to go to Reno. So now it's just the occasional ship coming by. And she goes on to tell about these stories about other alien life and how it's like out there. And this conversation always comes up with aliens. This, again, is part of the lore because this would be, I would ask an alien this. What about religion? What about the story of Jesus Christ? How do these things play? Because you figure we do have a very limited knowledge of our own planet, so if you had outside observers, they could give you more information. And when Martin is talking about this name, just kind of looks at Martin and goes, "Jesus, are you the story? the story of that guy Jesus Christ?" Yeah, no, that's not real. Martin Martin's just floating on the moon. He's at a Catholic school game. He's like, uh She's like, no, that's not real. That was a story that the elite in the world of your planet came up with. Came up with it a long time ago because it was a way to keep you guys enslaved. Because it doesn't he doesn't he never existed. And she does the whole thing. And then, then, she pull, then she pulls out a clove cigarette. And her suit becomes all black. And she becomes an emo goth. And she she does say, if God was real, why would he allow such suffering in the world? So this is definitely an atheist alien, which we don't get much of. Which is interesting, because you think there would be more of them. But it's very rare we come across an atheist alien. Before she returns Martin to Earth, she tells him. She's still smoking the clove cigarette. This isn't the first time we've met. We've met three times before. You don't remember those, though, and you never will. And then she looked at Martin and told him, Whether or not you see me, though, I'm always nearby. Wakes up. On a concrete slab, at a picnic, at a Catholic school camp. I love... Lost civilizations. I love the idea of humans used to be on the moon, used to be on Mars, that were descendants from a species that left those. And we lost all of our history, and the story of the Great Flood was us leaving Mars and coming to Earth. I love all that stuff. Is there any proof of any of it? No. But I, I find it super fascinating. So this story spoke to me on that thing. The fact that I found it so closely to the other story about the guy who woke up, and the sla- has Nain got a new boy toy? Is that what's going on here? But imagine this, imagine this, this little hut on the moon could be proof that not just aliens exist, but what if it's proof that Nain exists? What if it's proof that this particular UFO alien abduction story is real? And if this story is real, then you have an outside source, when I say outside source, I mean outside the planet, outside the solar system, the leader of the security forces for an entire planet, telling us, telling us the history of religion on Earth, i.e., it's fake. It's all used to enslave us. What if this shack is proof of that? If Nain is telling the truth, and the lunar rover finds proof of her story, it means religions are fake. So as that lunar rover inches centimeter by centimeter so slowly across the landscape, it could be headed towards a structure of rocks, or it could be headed towards proof of the greatest deception mankind has ever known. the aliens may call it the place of ashes because a great civilization annihilated itself. But if Nain's story is true and the jade rabbit finds proof of her existence, Earth will also call the moon the place of ashes. The place where God died. deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be your email address you can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio tiktok is at deadrabbitradio Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast you don't have to listen to it every day but i'm glad you listened to it today have a great one guys